Hello and welcome to a new episode of Goonj, a podcast by the students of Tesco Hathi. In today's episode, we will be continuing our conversation with Tanvi Patil, who is a mental health professional. Tanvi is an expressive arts therapist with additional certification in queer affirmative and trauma-informed practice. She is based out of Mumbai and offers sessions online. The therapy space she holds is client-centered intersectionality and neuro-informed with an indigenous and anti-oppression lens. She is currently creating and offering evidence-based space for growth, healing, and safety, supported by the arts on individual, organizational, and community levels, with practices and programs specifically suited to the Indian context. She also holds the role of co-lead for Youth for Expressive Arts and teaching assistant at the PG Diploma in Expressive Arts Therapy at St. Xavier's College, Mumbai. She was also our host for the previous episode as well, so make sure you check that out. And uh, yeah, dive, dive, diving straight into the topic, um, I'd like to begin by asking you, uh, what is exactly expressive arts therapy and what are the different yeah. types? Okay, um, I'm happy to be back here. I'm happy to be talking about expressive arts therapy as a niche. And before getting into that, just a little bit of correction. I think in the, in the introduction, it was mentioned that I'm an expressive arts therapist, but currently I'm an expressive arts therapy practitioner um, and not a therapist. And the way expressive arts therapy works is in addition to, you know, regular verbal processing, regular verbal counseling that happens in traditional talk therapy, there is the additional support of different art modalities for the same. So all of that happens in a flow. Um, where there's music, there's movement, there's drama, there's art, there's really anything in any way you want to express yourself as welcome. Um, what this does is it decreases the, um, the, the need that we feel for cognition. It, it decreases the need, the pressure that is felt for rationalizing your thoughts, taking control, simply using words, because that can be a little bit difficult. And instead, what it does, it it offers psychosomatic pathways. It works with the idea that it's not just your mind um, that has experienced things, that is holding memories, that is responding to events actively, but it's also your body. You know, when we talk about mental health, when we talk about mujhe, like I'm feeling anxious, it's, it's your heart rate. You're feeling something in your stomach, you're sweating. So working with that, working with actively inviting body as well, reducing the pressure on your mind, um, and the art modalities can be used any way we want to. We can use them to express, um, to explore what is coming up, as well as to contain what has come up. And it's not an aesthetic process. It's not about, you know, when we're engaging in the arts, how pretty or how beautiful what we're doing, how we're moving is. But it's about um, the process of it. So if I'm bringing my hand up like this, how is that making me feel? How am I feeling to just sit here with my eyes closed? How does it feel to color outside the lines? So the process and how it, how it feels is what we work with. Um, it's all about unloading the word creative. Um, and the fact that you don't have to be serious all the time to work with issues that are more deep-seated, that are more serious. Imagination and play um, are invited into this. Allowing yourself to be a human at the level you want to be. It's a strength-based approach. And usually also is in depth, being mindful of the role we play in our environment, the role our bodies play, the correlation there is. 
um, the different types of expressive art therapy. So expressive art therapy in itself draws from a lot. It's developed from a lot of different therapies that already exist. So a lot of you must have heard of psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, CBT, RBT counseling. So it draws from existing theories and every modality in itself has its own theory base. So drama therapy exists independently as well. Art therapy, music therapy, movement therapy, all of these exist individually. And what expressive art therapy does is it gets all these therapeutic elements together, looks at the connection, looks at the patterns to understand how to serve you as the person who's availing this better. For example, somebody might not be that comfortable with moving. So for them, maybe movement is something that can be used to instead, I don't know, maybe um, calm themselves down a little, but it can't be used to explore because they feel a little bit restricted. Somebody might feel like, yes, when I do art, I'm able to connect a lot of dots. So it offers you as an individual a lot of choice um, to pick and choose. And it's a co-creative space. So while I, as a provider, the mental health professional will come in with my intentions, will come in with what is being offered, what our goals are. But there's enough space for you as the client as well to share something, to be like, hey, this is how it's looking for me. This is how it's working for me. So it's a, it's a co-creative space. It's unloading all the pressure that the world holds. It's unloading all the pressure that having to put everything in words holds and allowing your body to step in, allowing yourself to just be the way you want to be in that moment. Okay, so you mentioned that uh, it decreases the pressure on a person to express everything in words. So uh, would you consider that to be an advantage of expressive arts therapy? And is there mm. any other advantage that expressive arts therapy has over other forms of therapy? Yeah. Um, so it can be looked at as an advantage. Maybe for somebody who's coming in, like I said, using the arts might be something that's difficult. For that person, maybe words are more important. Um, I feel like the advantage that expressive arts therapy has is that there's a way, a choice for you. If I want to use words today, I only want to talk in today's session, there's space for that. If I only want to move today, if I only want to draw today, there's choice for that. So while there is flow, there is also the option for you to decide what your flow is, what your need that day is. Um, so I feel like that um, is an advantage because I think like we spoke about last time as well, it's not just that every individual has different needs, but every individual's needs also change over time. So there's space for that change to be taken into the conversation. Um, it's at the end of the day about finding out what works best for you, what works for you in that moment. And it's just that expressive art therapy has different methods, has different resources to offer than what the larger talk therapy uh, can offer. And there's space for integration of both as well. Okay. So uh, with that answered, I think my next, next question would be that what are the issues and the disorders that can be treated with expressive arts therapy? Hmm. Um, honestly, one of my favorite things to say is that expressive art therapy is for anyone and everyone who just wants to come and experience it. So while it is something that is work is used to work when you have a diagnosis, when you are coming in with a diagnosis, it's also something that can be 
applied to anything and everything that a human experience contains. Um, because as as humans, as functional functioning alive human beings, the way we work is we see, we use our senses to perceive what's going on. And what expressive art therapy does is it invites these senses to the forefront. It allows you to explore the different levels. It's all about working with your senses and integration of how you're perceiving the world, of how that's feeling in you, how that's sitting in you. Um, so, you know, if you have a diagnosis or you don't have a diagnosis, you feel like, okay, I have, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what my bodily symptoms are like. This is what my thoughts are like. There's space for all of that. Um, so you can come in with a diagnosis. You can come in without a diagnosis. Um, if you're feeling a creative block, if you're feeling any kind of block within you, that's making you feel stuck. There's space for that. Um, if you're someone who just wants to explore and find more strengths in yourself, for your betterment, there's space for that. Um, it also suits really well to neurodiversity. It also takes into account individuals who are differently able. It's extremely adaptable to the person, to their history, to the situation, to their goals. Um, it can be used on individual levels. It can be used on group levels. It can be used in workspaces. Um, so I feel like because there's so much, so many elements present in expressive arts therapy, um, it can be molded for anything and can be offered for anything you want. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's about finding that strength in yourself as a person, whatever strength means for you. Because for someone, strength might mean just being able to cry. You know, it's not something that's going to push you. Like you have to get better. This is wrong. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's, it's something that can be, it can be availed by anyone for any reason that they're coming in with. Yes, uh, that was really informative. And I think all of us are a bit more informed with that answer. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. And uh, I think moving on, the next uh, question would be like, can you give us a brief overview of what the landscape of expressive arts therapy looks like in India? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so expressive arts therapy or creative arts therapies in themselves are much younger as an evidence-based body of work. Um, if we look at the therapeutic use of arts is something that's inherited in us as humans. Um, so art-based support is something that's been in us for a while. Um, even internationally speaking, it's a newer field. In India, I feel like currently the second or third generation of expressive art therapies, therapists or mm -hmm. professionals is under training, is offering their services. Um, and again, like I said, it draws elements for everything. So I feel like putting an age on the landscape is a difficult thing. Um, but in India, I feel like... Um, if you want to get into the field, if you want to get into the field of expressive arts therapy or any creative arts therapy, um, there are a few courses available. I ended up being a really lucky person uh, when it comes to my training, because the very year I wanted to consider leaving, going abroad to master in expressive arts therapy, um, Xavier's, St. Xavier's in Mumbai ended up launching a postgraduate diploma. In the same, I enrolled, graduated from the first batch, um, extremely lucky in that sense. And to my knowledge, to my understanding, Xavier's, the, the postgraduate diploma in expressive arts therapy at Xavier's is the most comprehensive um, or the longest in terms of hours that's currently available in India 
for expressive art therapy. So the course itself is 810 hours. Um, but if you look at all the coursework, it's actually over a thousand, over 1.5K hours, even though it's part-time, it's quite intensive. Um, other than that, I think there's a diploma um, available in Pune. There's one being offered by WCC in Chennai that is for 470 hours. Um, other than that, there are a lot of diplomas in specific creative arts therapies, especially in dance movement therapy that's also available in India. Um, but I would definitely invite you to check the coursework, check if it's just an introductory foundation level of what expressive arts therapy is, or is it actually offering you training to practice? And like I said in the beginning, like I am a practitioner because I haven't done a master's yet. So being mindful of that, really checking in what that training is, what is what toolkit is it offering you? What skill set is it offering you? Um, to be a therapist, a lot of courses are available abroad. Um, hopefully a lot will come up in India as well soon. And even when you go abroad, it, you can check in. Is this expressive arts therapy course or any creative arts therapy course more intuition-based? Is it more theoretical, cl clinical in its leaning? So again, even in training, there is so much space in expressive arts therapy for you to understand how you want to work, for you to understand what kind of a professional you want to be. Um, and yeah, that's that's about it, I think. Okay. Um, so now that we've heard about expressive arts therapy in India and how one can become an expressive arts therapy, and we even heard a little bit about your own journey. So that's what I wanted to ask you about. What was your journey like and what drew you to the field of mental health and expressive arts therapy? Yeah, um, that's a beautiful question. I like sitting with that question quite often in my personal reflection space as well, because um, three and a half years ago, I had no clue something like this exists. Like I, I personally have always been inclined towards the arts. I've always used arts to support, you know, whatever my need is in that moment. So I've known of the therapeutic benefits of art, but I didn't know that there is actually a thing called expressive arts therapy that exists. Um, I was in Xavier's for my bachelor's and I did my bachelor's with honors. So I needed some extra credits to get the honors certificate. And the only credit available um, in my third year for the final credit I needed was dance movement therapy. Um, back then, I was someone who was extremely scared of the word dance. Um, you know, like everyone here, I felt like dancing is something that needs to be choreographed. You have to be great at it. But hesitantly, because that was my only option, I ended up signing. That's where I met Devika Mehta. She's a DMD. She's a dance movement therapist. Um, and also the program head for the, the diploma in Xavier's. That's where I met Devika. And those three days, those 15 hours I spent in that space with her, with the group, completely shifted my view, um, helped me realize how much it can offer a person. That's when I started looking up courses. I realized I need to go abroad. I was ready to do that. I was ready to go abroad because I really wanted to offer what I experienced, learn more about it myself as well. And then one fine day, uh, Ruby Ma'am, who's uh, the head of department for psychology in Xavier's, she walks in and she announces that, hey, Xavier's is launching two programs next year, postgraduate programs, one of which is an expressive arts therapy. And yeah, well, went for it, took the step, 
best decision I've ever made, not only in terms of professional growth, but also in terms of personal growth because of how intensive that course is, how well looked after you are throughout the journey. At no point did I ever feel unheld. Even now having graduated like two, it's been two years since I graduated, I still feel so held and supported by the faculty there. And also feel really privileged about the fact that my training has come in from the best of the best in the field, not only on the Indian, in the Indian landscape, but also international landscape. They really look after and ensure that you are coming in with a proper ethical sense, trauma-informed, affirmative, and indigenous. So it's not just that I'm learning something from a Western perspective, but also how to apply to India. And it's it's been a joy being able to show what it can look like, being able to implement it and offer these spaces for people. Um, and yeah, I, I hope to keep on doing that. I hope to create more body of work um, for India, for us, uh, where we are. Yes, uh, that is a beautiful story. I, I... I hope you keep on progressing in your career, both in professional and personal life. And uh, yeah, I think uh, speaking about your journey in the space, uh, uh, before we started recording, you had mentioned about a certificate course that you had on queer affirmative theory. So I just wanted to ask you to like uh, elaborate on that a bit. And why do you think uh, something like that is important? Mm. Yeah, um, so I've done my certification in queer affirmative counseling practices from Mariwala Health Initiative. Um, again, a great decision. I would I would recommend this course to any and every mental health professional or even just a person uh, who wants to find how to create that space. Look at these patterns that exist, these systems that exist in the world. Um, it's a great investment of your time, of your resources. Um, and if I were to sum up what that was like for me, what queer affirmative or just being affirmative um, means. I think I would, I could do that with the words. One is accountability. Second is validation. And third is advocate. These are three big pillars that it offered me. So the course, the, the diploma in Xavier's itself was queer affirmative in its basis, but what um, my further certification in queer affirmative therapy was offered much more information on that. Um, and it's the idea of the charmed circle. Like there is, it's, it's taking and acknowledging and affirming the fact that yes, there are some people who are much more privileged just because of who they are, where they are in the world. And there are a lot of us who are not. Um, you know, it's about the norm. What is normal? Why is heterosexuality normal when all it is is majority? You know, just because something is a majority doesn't mean that that is normal and that should be a standard we work towards. And for the longest time, um, being anything other than a heterosexual individual was seen as a disease, was seen as something that needed to be rectified. Not even a long time ago, even today in India, recently there's been a case that's been launched in um, investigating a mental health professional in India who seemed to offer cure for homosexuality. So it's still a lived reality for so many of us, for a majority of us out there. Um, you know, you might say that everybody's normal, but at the end of the day, neutrality is a myth. 
um, we aren't equal in society. We aren't, um, we don't have the same privilege. We don't have the same access in society. It's about looking at these unique life stressors that anyone who's away from the charm circle has. Um, you know, self-acceptance, um, invisibility, discrimination, harassment, how that impacts your mental health, that how that impacts your relationship. And it's a loop. It's so interconnected. So that's what affirmative means to me. It's, it's about creating space for that conversation, affirming, acknowledging that, yes, this is true, and working with that, working with the systems. I think like I spoke about in our first podcast as well, it's not just about the individual. It's about the individual in the system and how that creates systems in the individual. It's not about moving towards a normal, but it's about moving towards health. How can you best take care of yourself in this system that exists? And even in my personal work, um, like again, personal and professional work, I have seen how much just affirming offers because you're constantly told by society that you're wrong. Your existence is wrong. Everything you're doing, everything you're feeling is wrong. So even to just have someone sit there with you and be like, no, I get it, you know? It's true. It's not all in your head. It is actually happening. I've, I've, I've seen personally experienced as well as in client work, seen how important that is, just getting the validation. Now, I think the other word I used was advocating. Okay, you validated the person, now what? You need to actively advocate as well. You can't just sit there in a therapy th therapist role. You have to know the legality of the systems. You have to know outreach. You have to know what NGO or what organization can offer what resource to a person in need of help. Accountability. You have to be accountable yourself as a mental health professional who says they are queer affirmative. Um, it's, it's about encompassing a lot of self-work, your attitudes, your knowledge, your skills, your ethics. So you have to constantly be okay to unlearn and learn. You have to be okay with being like, okay, I... I, I see how my perspective could have been damaging. It's about being okay to take steps to see um, different perspectives and integrate that to offer support to the individual in front of you best to hear them, to see them, which is huge because invisibility is true. Thank you for that explanation. I think I've learned a lot personally and um, it just shows that there are so many topics that you can that need to be talked about when we talk about mental health in India. Thank you for that explanation. I think I've learned a lot about queer affirmative counseling practices. Um, I, I knew that it would be important. Um, there was a lot that I hadn't considered, so I didn't get to learn a lot. Um, and it goes to show there's so many things that need to be talked about when we talk about mental health in India. So um, through our conversation over this episode and the last, I think that has become very clear that there is a lot that needs to be talked about. So um, keeping that in mind, I would like to ask what a club like Goonj can do to facilitate well-informed and productive conversations around the topic of mental health within the student community. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, in just a few words that you shared, I already saw two of the most important things present in you, present in Club Goonj. One, that is understanding that yes, there is always space to develop and at the same time, the well-informed, knowing that you know there is a certain way there are ethical boundaries that need to be considered. So the intention you're holding, I see that 
and I feel like that is quite important. Um, now to build on that, again, these are just these are just a few things that I feel you're welcome to accept, reject. But since Goonch is a student body, since Goonch is catering to students, I feel like the best thing to do would be, excuse me, to ask your audience, no matter who you are, as someone who's working in mental health or anywhere, honestly, marketing, that's what marketing does. You ask your audience, you see what their needs are, and then you cater to that. Um, as well as since you guys are catering to a specific population, you know, students, students maybe in this, students in general. So being open to just checking in with them, seeing what their needs are. Again, unique life stressors. Students' life stressors in the environment in this can be quite different from elsewhere. So starting with that, and then as you pick on more topics, there's always space for you to join those dots, create more conversations. Um, so, you know, maybe you could put out forms, maybe on your social media, you can do those little pop quizzes and all to understand where they are lying currently. Also being mindful of what's going on in the world around and what kind of conversations, what kind of feelings that might be bringing up. So not just targeting the inner systems, but also being mindful of what conversation is needed on that day and that age. Okay, um, thank you. I think uh, we're definitely going to do that. Those were really nice suggestions. So I also wanted to ask, like, are there any activities that we could conduct within the campus around the topic of mental health? Hmm. Yeah, um, so I feel like most campuses have um, a counselor present, have some mental health professional present. But I've also noticed most of the times this is an individual setup where you as an individual need to reach out, make an appointment and all of it. It can be quite intimidating doing that, especially if it's on campus grounds itself. Um, so while there are individual counseling spaces available, we could also look at offering group spaces where there is a personal or mental health professional just being present and ensuring that the conversations happening are aligned. Um, also having a system for feedback because quite often it's, it's easy for a person to get re-traumatized, not have their needs met. So maybe in both these spaces, an individual as well as group therapeutic spaces that come up on campus, having space for feedback if you as a person have access that service. Um, so there's always space to better that, make it safer as well. Um, in terms of activities, you know, of course, workshops, inviting speakers, experiential workshops, as well as something that won't uh, need an external resource person, such as maybe a community board, like uh, maybe there's a board in the foyer or in the, um, in the common area where there's a theme put up every week, you as a person can go make additions to it, change what's on it, then it's it's so maybe a picture is put up and put out. Um, community boards online, chat spaces online to talk about particular issues are just an open space. Um, peer spaces, um, things like, I think almost a lot of colleges have drama clubs, a lot of colleges have art clubs, history clubs. So in here as well, uh, being mindful of the way peer spaces are accessed um, is something that can be done. And yeah, that's that's some things that I could think of right now. Yeah, I think uh, you had mentioned about uh, reaching out uh, to the audience as one of the things that we can do. We could do, and uh, we have actually done this before. Uh, 
having you on the podcast and we asked our audience to send us uh, questions if they had any because we had told them we will have will be having a mental health professional on board so yeah. we 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 have currently uh, chosen three questions and i'll just shoot them at you and you can answer them so the first one is uh, what is the difference between a regular emotion of sadness or stress and uh, something that requires treatment okay um so i'd like to begin by saying that all emotions are normal even if you feel them this much or if you feel them this much it's normal you make sense your emotions make sense there is a reason you are experiencing what you are experiencing even though at times you might feel like what is happening why am i feeling this way it's not wrong to be feeling a certain way where the boundary might be for you is any time it starts feeling unhealthy for you any time it starts interfering with what um healthy would be like for you and when i'm talking about health i'm not just talking about like not feeling stress not having any negatives it's um it's a state of like the who definition it's a state of complete physical mental and social well being it's not just that you're not sick but it's also that you are well Um, you know this one statement that goes around often these days as humans you're not just meant to survive but you're meant to thrive also not looking at it as treatment to begin with because treatment almost implies something is wrong with you so looking at it as support anytime i think i mentioned this in the last podcast as well if a question comes up for you asking do i need support do i need to reach out to someone you probably do you know there's a reason that that uh cognition has even come up because your body is already feeling that way so instead of um directly coming in from a pathogenic way where you are like something is wrong so i'm going to get some support to not be wrong but also looking at developing systems that enable you to understand and make choices um to be able to hold and contain whatever is coming up So if you're feeling sad it's okay to be sad but are you feeling like it's overwhelming to your point where you're feeling incapacitated where you're feeling like um it's taking away any sort of potential any sort of anything else from you and when the word treatment comes in it usually comes in with the word diagnosis if you feel like you want to go for a diagnosis i would definitely invite you to do that because what that does is it offers you that definition it offers you that definition to the patterns that you are currently experiencing with yourself which can then maybe help you understand yourself better help you give vocabulary to what you're feeling because i feel like the question itself you know how do you differentiate normal sadness from like what requires treatment comes from the lack of understanding and vocabulary of the systems the the processes that are going on inside you so if you want to go for a diagnosis you can go for a diagnosis if you want to reach out to just access some support you can do that as well is what i would say there's no right there's no wrong it's going to be what you want at the end of the day yes uh thank you so much and moving on to the next question uh so this is how is substance abuse related to the issue of mental health hmm okay um so again substance abuse is a very loaded word coming in with a lot of things on it already the minute you hear substance abuse is a very vivid image that forms in all our heads um so coming from a trauma informed perspective that i hold i see substance abuse as a coping mechanism that's maybe gone wrong because at the end of the day there's a reason you reaching out to that 
using that substance is offering you something. It's offering some space that your mind and your body needs in that moment. And the only way that it knows how to access that is by indulging in that substance, using that substance. So again, coming from the perspective that I hold, um, I would look at what it is that it's offering. You know, is it offering space? Is it offering distance from something that you don't want to feel? Looking at that need and discovering and realizing how we can access that need elsewhere and then gently weaning off of that substance, experimenting, exploring. Play is something that's again important here because it's not just substances that create an altered state of mind that feels safer. Even trauma does that. So maybe the substance is a way of coping with that altered state of mind, which is not resonating with you. So it's okay if you feel like you're dependent or something. It's okay if you feel like it's serving a need. Just knowing that it's there for a reason and then taking that approach instead of being like, you need to stop feeling those physical withdrawal symptoms. Because again, it's not just all in your mind. Your body is reaching out. Your body is being affected um, is how I see it. And of course, you know, all of this is being said, but you can't deny the role of a strong sense of support and safety that is needed in this. So again, looking at the institutions around you, looking at where they can be safe support systems in case you're feeling like reaching out someday. So developing all that as well. So internal as well as an external approach is what I would look at it as. Yes, uh, thank you so much. And the last question we had, actually we have um, gotten three, four questions similar to this. So we just clubbed them all into one. So this was, um, how is it possible for someone with monetary constraints to afford uh, treatment for mental health issues? Um, again, I'm not going to pretend it's all rosy. It's all easy. You know, we all say reach out, get support, but it is difficult. It is quite difficult. I won't deny that, but it is possible. It's difficult and it's possible. So I feel like before even reaching out, just know what you can invest, not just in terms of money, but also in terms of time, because therapeutic work does require a lot of time. It is a long process. So know where you are coming from, how much time, how much monetary assistance can you put in. Um, so a, a lot of mental health professionals offer sliding scale systems, uh, which means that even if they charge X amount, they can offer a certain amount of discount on that if you're coming from, if maybe you're a student or if you're in financial or social need, um, each therapist has their own different uh, module for that. So reaching out, not, not being shy of asking like, hey, do you have a sliding scale system? Are there slots available for the same? Again, um, every therapist has their own individual systems in place on deciding how many slots are open, how many are not. So not being disheartened if you don't find a pro bono slot, maybe asking them if you can get on the waiting list um, for the same and continuing your search, asking them if they know anybody else offering, putting feelers out there, using social media, putting out the status saying, hey, this is what I'm looking for. These, this, these are my, this is my budget. Does anybody know where I can get it? Um, if individual therapy isn't seeming feasible, you can look at groups, um, group therapeutic spaces. You can maybe sign up for workshops because these usually require lesser uh, monetary investment than others. But again, the quality of um, support, the quality of work that will happen will be different from an individual space. Um, you can also reach out to different NGOs, different organizations that work with mental health and accessibility. 
Um, they usually have their own repertoire of mental health professionals who offer maybe sliding scale slots. Um, another thing I've noticed these days is some, a lot of people who are coming in um, have employers who are offering them a budget for self-care every month, which then they use in therapy. So check in with your health insurance, check in with your employers if a system like that exists. Um, sometimes employers themselves have in-house counselors. You can reach out to them. If you're a student, your school might have an in-house counselor. Reach out to them. Um, yeah, find what your need is and then take the steps accordingly. Okay, so I think that's it for the questions. Um, thank you for answering them. I'm sure they're really helpful. So um, I just wanted to ask you, are there any resources that you would like to share around the topics that we have discussed today? That would be expressive arts therapy or uh, queer affirmative counseling practices. Definitely. Um, I feel like I'll offer some of the more concrete resources. Um, one is this thing called an emotion wheel. Um, if you want, you can look it up. Just put it on Google, emotion wheel. Don't get intimidated by how complicated it looks. The way it usually works is it has the core emotions at the center, which it then bifurcates further and further. Um, what that allows is for you to get a vocabulary, get more words to understand yourself, what you're feeling and be able to communicate and then accordingly reach out to whatever your need is. And when you refer to an emotion wheel, know that it's not absolute. The way it's bifurcated is not absolute. So even if um, feeling confused comes under something and you're not relating to that, it's okay. Don't go by the larger definition of what confusion is portrayed as in social interactions. But if you're feeling confused, even if you don't have an explanation, it's okay. Um, so emotion wheel is one thing I would offer for individuals to just look up. Um, and following that, what can be done is noticing what your needs are. Okay, I found out I'm feeling angry. Under angry, I'm feeling frustrated. What do I want? Do I want to release this frustration? Do I want to communicate with whoever I'm feeling this frustration towards? Um, or in that moment, do I just want to elevate my spirit? Or do I want to ground myself so I'm not as activated physically? So noticing what your needs are, because um, when you are feeling a certain way, it's not always that you just want to feel happy. Sometimes you just want to be angry and remove it by punching a pillow or something like that, maybe. So check in with yourself. Ask yourself, what do I want to do with this thing that I'm feeling? Um, and then take a step. Um, another thing you can do is check in with what roles you're playing in that moment. Because that, as people, even though you are a whole, at any given point of time, you're playing a multiple set of roles. You can be a student, you can be a sister or brother, you can be a chef, you can be whoever you are. So check in with yourself. Notice how many roles you're playing. Um, that can then allow you to maybe pick and choose. Okay, this role is tiring, so I don't want to be playing it all the time. Um, this role makes me feel this way. Notice if there are any shifts you notice uh, when you switch between different roles. And if you feel like you're going from a particularly heavy role into a more lighter role, maybe have a ritual for yourself. Like maybe a phrase that you say or a movement or just doodling. Putting things on paper. One of the best things you can do for yourself. And again, in my opinion, it might work for you, it might not work for you. But what that does is it allows you to take this out, put it out there, and then be able to look at it, have that distance, have that externalization. 
Um, so while you are also feeling, you're able to look at it maybe a little bit more objectively or subjectively the way you want to, which again then allows you to take make a choice of what you want to do with it. Do you want to rip that paper, flush it, burn it, fold it, keep it aside, keep it accessible, whatever you want to do. You know, like I said, it's not just about doing away with the not good feelings, but it's about knowing how to work with them, how to work towards things you want as well. Um, so thank you. I Those resources were really helpful and they're something that everyone can do. Um, so this brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank Tanvi, Tanvi again for making the time to talk with us and being the most wonderful guest. We have certainly learned a lot about mental health and how it relates to young people in India as well as expressive arts therapy. And I hope that it was a similar experience for the listeners. Uh, you can reach out to, to Tanvi via email at tanvitherapy at the rate gmail.com or on her Instagram handle, which is at the rate underscore dot tanvi dot underscore. And while you're at it, feel free to check us out as well. We are tis underscore goonj on Instagram. And you can also follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For feedback, comments, and suggestions, you can always reach out to us via email at podcastgoonj at the rate gmail.com. Thank you for listening and have a great day.